Hello, and welcome to Sharing Our Journey, a podcast from Harrodsburg Baptist Church, where we're all about sharing our journey toward Jesus. Before we hear from Dr. Paul Gibson, we'd like to invite you to take that journey with us. To find out more, follow us on social media at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you very soon. Hey everybody, Dr. Paul here. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending upon uh, when you are listening to either our radio broadcast or our podcast. We're so thankful that you are tuning in to listen uh, to another week as we share the Word of God as we are working through the story in 2021. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, the story it is, is an abridged copy of Scripture. It is the Word of the Lord, word for word, but it's abridged. Uh, and the reason that we are studying the story is so that we can learn uh, the larger narrative of God's redemption between Genesis to Revelation, and also to learn how our own individual narratives, how our own individual stories uh, fit into the Lord's larger story. This week we're going to be looking at chapter 6 in the story, uh, titled Wandering, uh, or we are going to be reading uh, from uh, a physical copy of Scripture in Numbers 13. So if you have your copy of the story, I encourage you to turn over to chapter 6. If you have a regular copy of Scripture, I encourage you to turn over to Numbers 13. And as you are uh, turning over to either Numbers 13 or uh, chapter 6 of the story, I want to talk a little bit about cycles. And here's what I mean. It's springtime. Uh, many of us grew up looking forward to spring because of baseball or because of softball. And in baseball or softball, if you were to uh, hit for the cycle, that means that you would have hit a single, double, triple, and home run all in a single game. And if you hit a cycle, that was a really big deal. Now, I played baseball in high school, never hit for a cycle. Uh, I did at some point have a single, double, triple, and home run, but was never uh, athletic enough or lucky enough to hit all of those in a game. But hitting for the cycle in baseball or softball is a big deal. But well, that's not the only type of cycle that exists in our society. Uh, you may know this cycle. Wash, rinse, dry, repeat. Yeah, it's what we do with our dishes, right? Wash, rinse, dry, repeat, or maybe our laundry. Or how about this cycle from a famous movie uh, when I was growing up, The Karate Kid. Do you remember Mr. Miyagi? Wax on, wax off. It was a uh, cycle that Mr. Miyagi used to teach uh, Daniel's son, uh, how to be prepared uh, to fight. So we are, uh, we, we encounter cycles uh, all around us as we live. Whether it be baseball or softball or wash, rinse, rinse, dry, repeat, whether it be Karate Kid. I want to talk to you about another cycle today that we're going to be introduced to in Scripture. And it's a cycle that's going to continue uh, throughout the story, God's story, all the way to the book of Revelation. And that cycle is deliverance, wilderness, promised land. Now I want to say that again. Deliverance, wilderness, promised land. We're going to see the children of Israel constantly have an encounter with this cycle of being delivered, entering some type of wilderness, and then being delivered to the promised land. 
And I'm going to talk in just a few moments how that cycle translates to the New Testament. But here's a truth that I encourage you to wrestle with today. In our lives, wilderness moments are unavoidable. More specifically, if you're listening and you are a Christ follower, wilderness moments are definitely unavoidable because it's in the wilderness moments that the Lord grows our faith. Now I want to say that one more time. For all of us, wilderness moments are unavailable. But if you are a Christ follower, wilderness moments are definitely unavoidable because that is how the Lord grows our faith. And today we're going to ask three questions regarding wilderness moments. How will you handle your wilderness moments when they happen? Will you be overwhelmed by the wilderness when you find yourself in it? When you find yourself in the wilderness, will you believe God and will you believe that He will take care of you through the wilderness? So those are the three questions we're going to ask today. How will you handle your wilderness moments? Will you be overwhelmed by the wilderness? Will you believe God will take care of you through the wilderness? So let's look at that first question. How will you handle your wilderness moments? Again, if you have the story, I encourage you to turn over to page 74. If you have a regular copy of Scripture in front of you, turn over to Numbers 13, verse 1. Let's read from the story, from Numbers 13, the word of the Lord. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send out one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now let me give you a context to this uh, moment in Scripture. This is a big deal. The children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. Moses has led them miraculously through the Red Sea, and now they are on the verge of the promised land which the Lord promised to their forefather Abraham to give to his offspring. So they had journeyed through the wilderness, and they are at the edge of their ultimate destination, the promised land. And as they are on the edge of their ultimate destination, the Lord instructs Moses to send out an advanced scout team. And the way the Hebrew reads in the passage here is that this advanced scout team was made up of most likely the tribal military leaders of each tribe. So think Navy SEALs or Army Rangers. And, and Moses was sending out this advanced scout team so that the Israelites could be prepared to see God work. And here's the catch. It's not like they needed uh, to, to scout out the land in order to come up with some amazing plan to overthrow uh, the land because the Lord had already promised them the land. I think what the Lord was doing here was He was preparing the Israelites to see His mighty hand work once again. So Moses... Uh, after being instructed by the Lord, sends out this team of uh, Navy SEALs or Army Rangers, metaphorically speaking, to scout out the land. And I think the question here is not so much what the children of Israel will find. The Lord has constantly told His people that they're going to find a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning that the promised land is eventually going to be a great land, a good land, an amazing land. So I don't think it's so much about what they will find as it is about how will they handle what they see? How will the children of Israel, how will this advanced scout team handle what they see in the promised land? And that drives us to a personal question. How will you handle 
when you're tested in the wilderness? How will you handle when you're tested in the wilderness? The, the 12 spies are about to enter into a test. Again, not so much what are they going to see, but how will they handle what they see? And again, how are we going to handle when we are tested in the wilderness? The children of Israel are in the wilderness. God is showing them the land that He has promised them already. And we are going to see the children of Israel enter into a test. Will they trust the Lord? Will they trust His promises? Or will they be overwhelmed by the wilderness? Will you be overwhelmed by the wilderness? Let's look at page 75 of the story. Or let's keep reading in Numbers 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. And Scripture tells us it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they, the spies, went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahaman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of forty days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Let's skip down just a little bit in the story. Numbers 13, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now I encourage you to look back and see the description of the promised land. Scripture tells us that they uh, gathered a cluster of grapes so big and heavy that they needed a pole and two people to carry it. They reported back to Moses that the land does flow with milk and honey, which means that the land was luscious and plentiful. It was everything that the children of Israel needed. At this point in the report, I can imagine that the people listening, that Moses listening was like, okay, let's go, let's go take the land. But after sharing about the good of the land, a but entered into the scene. They said, but the people are big and powerful. And then they said, they will defeat us. There are even giants over there. 
And ultimately, the final answer from 10 of the 12 spies was we can't do this. Yes, there is a land over there just luscious with food and everything we might need. The grapes, oh my gosh, do you see how big these grapes are? It does flow with milk and honey, but Moses, we can't do this. The people, they're so big and powerful, they're going to defeat us, Moses, if we go over. And those giants, oh my gosh, they're so big. There's so much going on in this passage. I think the children of Israel, the 10 out of 12 spies, they have forgotten that God had already promised to give them the land. I think they were overwhelmed because they saw the obstacles instead of seeing God. I think they were overwhelmed because they saw the obstacles and they forgot the promises of God. And, and you know, the truth for us is that we are overwhelmed by the wilderness when we only see the obstacles and forget the promises of God. We are overwhelmed by the wilderness when we only see the obstacles and forget the goodness of God. You know, and, and again, you've heard me say before, we are all going to encounter wilderness moments in our lives. It could be losing a job. It could be a miscarriage. It could be a fight with a loved one. It could, it could be an unexpected medical diagnosis. It could be a, a pandemic that no one saw coming. It, it could be life taking a turn that we did not expect and finding us in a place where we never thought we would be. When that moment happens, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when you find yourself in the wilderness, will you believe that God will take care of you through that wilderness? When you find yourself in the wilderness, will you believe that God will take care of you through the wilderness? Let's look on page 76 of the story, continuing to read in Numbers 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. Let's continue to read in Numbers 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell down, fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Caleb and Joshua had faith. They saw the obstacles, but they knew that God was bigger than the obstacles. And, and I think, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, that God leads us into the wilderness to teach us, to, te to test us. And one of the questions that I always ask myself when I find myself in a wilderness season of life when things feel empty and barren and I feel like nothing is going my way. A question I ask myself is, what is God trying to teach me in my wilderness? 
What is God trying to teach me in my wilderness? What is the Lord trying to teach the children of Israel during this wilderness moment? And I love what Caleb was saying and what Joshua was saying. They were saying, yes, there are obstacles. There are obstacles in the wilderness. But Caleb and Joshua knew that God was bigger. And I pray that in our wilderness moments, we know that God is bigger. And I encourage you to see some of the things that that Caleb said. He said, if the Lord is pleased, if the Lord is pleased with us, He will give us the land. And then he went on to say, the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Again, when you are in a wilderness season of life, do you see the obstacles or do you see the God who promised to never leave you or forsake you? Do you see the God who promises that all things will work together for good? Do you see the God who had a plan to overcome the ultimate wilderness of death through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does the wilderness drive you to doubt or does it drive you to your knees to the one who says that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning? You see, the wilderness is barren. It is desolate. The wilderness will test us. And we have to choose how we're going to respond. Will we respond like the 12 spies and say, Oh God, this testing is so great. I don't think I can get out of the wilderness. I don't think you can help me get out of the wilderness. Or do we respond like Caleb and Joshua? Lord, we know that if you show your favor on us, we're going to be okay. Lord, we know that you are with us, and this may hurt, this may press us down, but we know that deliverance is coming. We will not be afraid. When you are in the wilderness, are you overwhelmed or do you believe? You know, and I want to say something here. I think that question is actually a faulty question. I ask it, and then I'm like, okay, wait a minute. That may not be the best question to ask. Because the truth of life, especially if we're following Jesus, is there are times that we are overwhelmed, and yet we choose to believe. And you heard me say a few weeks ago that often being overwhelmed, often being in a moment where we feel like God has given us more than He handle, more than we can handle, He has because it shows us that the only place we can go when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel burdened, when we feel like we are in a wilderness moment, the only place we can go is up. And that's up to the Lord. So you might be overwhelmed. And at the same time, you might be choosing to believe And often it's in being overwhelmed that we realize that our faith in the Lord is the last most, I want to say most realistic, but that's an an understatement, the last most powerful, eternal thing we have. Now here's the truth about the wilderness. God will be faithful. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, we may be in a wilderness moment, and we feel like God is slow, and we feel like He's not going to show up, but instead, uh, Scripture tells us uh, that He's not slow in keeping His promise. He's working on His own timetable. Often, He leaves us in the wilderness to shape us and to mold us. When we feel like we're being crunched crunched and pressured by the wilderness, I think the Lord is actually being patient with us. And I think where we are right now as a society and a culture, many of us are thinking, okay, God, it's getting worse and worse and worse. When are you going to come back? 
But 2 Peter 3 tells us that he is being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. What that means is I think the Lord is allowing us to stay in this kind of existential, uh, uh, continual wilderness moment as a society because he's showing us, he's challenging us, he's begging us to repent and come to him. He's begging the church to be his light to a lost and dying world. You see, God is going to be faithful. The wilderness is where our faith is forged. And while we wait, God is working. The wilderness is where our faith is forged. And while we wait, God is working. And we may think that God is slow, but He's always right on time. Now I want to close by talking about one more cycle. We talked about baseball. We talked about uh, wash, uh, rinse, dry, repeat. And then we talked about you know the karate kid, wax on and wax off. And, and you heard me talk about uh, the, um, the cycle uh, of uh, deliverance, wilderness, promised land. I want to talk about one more cycle. And that's the cycle of life, death, and resurrection. You know... We all are going to face death. But thankfully, if you're listening to me, you've been given the opportunity of life. The Scripture talks about two different kinds of life. Life in our mortal body, but then eternal life, which comes through knowing God. Knowing God through a relationship with Jesus. Scripture tells us that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, which means that if you are listening today and you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't know God, the Bible tells us that you're dead in your transgressions and sins. Yes, you have life, but you're screaming towards death. And you're screaming towards a death where you don't know God. Eternal separation from God. And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this because we are made to be in a relationship with God. And when we are distant from God, when we are not in a relationship with God, we are not living the life that God wants us to have. And we may have physical life now, but we don't have spiritual life because we are not alive in Christ. So if you're listening today and you don't follow God, if you're listening today and Jesus is not your Savior, yes, you may be living in the flesh, but you are dead in the Spirit. And if you want to truly come alive, You've got to have a life with God. And the way you have a life with God is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth. We're all going to die. And Scripture teaches us that when we die, we will resurrect. And we know that we're going to resurrect because Jesus defeated death. It was through His life, death, and resurrection that sin was defeated and that we're able to have a relationship with God. But if we die distant from God, if we die not knowing God, then Scripture tells us that the resurrection we are going to experience is going to be a resurrection without God. Meaning that there will be life after death. Meaning that when we are resurrected, we will either have life with God or we'll have life without God. And I'm begging you today, if you're listening to my voice, choose life with God. Because just like deliverance, wilderness, and promised land is a cycle, life, death, and resurrection is a cycle that we will experience. And it's a cycle that Jesus experienced. And instead of allowing death to win, Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated sin. And if you're listening to me today, I beg you, 
Give Jesus a chance. Trust His life, death, and resurrection. Trust that He is the Son of God so that when you die, you will have life with God. You will have eternal life. You will have a relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is God in flesh. You see, many, many years ago, the world was hungry for redemption. And God's timing was good through His Son, who experienced the ultimate wilderness of the cross. But He didn't stay in the wilderness. It was through death and resurrection that Jesus overcame the wilderness. And it was through death and resurrection that Jesus overcomes sin. And it's through putting our faith in Jesus that we can have life with God. So if you find yourself in a wilderness today, metaphorically speaking, maybe God is trying to get your attention and say, Hey, trust me, follow me, believe in me. And I pray if you're listening today, as you experience the wilderness, you do so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for sharing our journey. If you'd like to join us for worship, we come together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Harrodsburg Baptist Church, 312 South Main Street, Harrodsburg, Kentucky. For more information, follow us on social at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. As you go, we pray that you will share your journey toward Jesus with others. May the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.